Hello, friends. This is Dave Pasqualo with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 1, Episode 14, The Danny Covey Story. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life. Hey, Danny. What's going on, buddy? Not too much, Dave. How have you been doing? Man, I've been doing great. And I am so happy to be here with you today. It's been too long. You, we, I had hair the last time <laughs> we were together. Yeah. Yeah. And just so the listeners know, Danny and I went to college together down in Pensacola. And Danny is a remarkable guy. He is someone that everybody loves. You can't not love Danny. And he is uber talented. I remember sitting, you remember sitting in the commons that day? I sure do. I was telling you about one of my business ideas and you sat there and sketched it out real quick. And do you know, I still have this right here in my office to this day. Wow. So you you didn't get the tattoo. No, no, did not get the tattoo. Did not get the tattoo, but check it out. I still have it. So that is your artwork. Wow. And the reason why I keep it is because it inspires me. That was a great idea that I never acted on. And I had somebody as talented as Danny helping me out with the graphics and getting the logo ready. And you know what a good idea you don't act on is? A bad idea. <laughs> I told the paper, man. But you, you delivered. So I keep that on my wall to remind me that, hey, buddy, you got the best idea in the world. It doesn't count unless you use it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, man. But so the listeners, so you guys know who Danny is. He's a design and marketing and video guru. And this guy has creativity just oozing out of him. When it comes to anything creative, digital, especially if you're looking for that fun aspect, talk to Danny. Danny, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. He's up in Canada. Don't hold that against him. <laughs> but, hey, <laughs> eh? we're, no. we're not so bad, eh? <laughs> no, you guys are awesome. And hockey, number one sport, right? Yes, sir. That's right. Got the Bruins. Who's your team? The Sens, but they're not doing so well this year. That's all right. You can still love them, man. They, they try, but... Uh... <laughs> it just makes the Bruins' life better. Yeah, for now. For now. For now. All right, man. But anyway, so Danny's up in Canada, and he's working for a company doing the graphic design and video full-time, and he has a remarkable story. And we talked about this in college, and it was remarkable back then, but now it's continued. You know, fast forward 25, 30 years later, and we are now grown men with children graduating, and it's just crazy. So Danny, if you won't mind... Let's just share your story with the world. All right. Yeah, this goes back quite a ways. I was born with a congenital heart defect. And so at the time, my parents didn't know. And I was about, I don't know, two years old, and I I started passing out. And my parents took me to a doctor. And, you know, the doctor checked me over and didn't think there was anything too serious. My parents, though, were not satisfied that, you know, the answers were found. So they actually took me to 11 different doctors. And the 11th doctor put his stethoscope on my chest. He listened. And then he said, get him to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. 
SickKids Hospital is a world-renowned hospital for children. And so it turned out I had uh, major problems with my aortic valve and my mitral valve. And the, the problems were serious enough that the surgery at the time was very experimental. And I was given about a 20% chance to live. So obviously I don't remember that, but I really look at that time as being a huge trial, a huge ordeal for my parents. They flew across the country. We did the surgery and my parents prayed and it was truly a miracle. Obviously I survived, spoiler alert. (laughs) Good thing uh, too, right? Yeah. But I mean, even that was amazing. And I remember growing up saying, you know, I had these scars in different places and I'm like, what are these? And so I, I didn't even know, but I, I learned. And so I had a period of time for several years where my health was good, but I could never really excel in sports or do sports seriously. Dave, the last time I did gym class was third grade. Oh, wow. I've never done gym since third grade. So that's like seven years ago. Yeah, like, well, eight-ish. <laughs> it's leap years coming up. All right. But, we're, uh, we're being sarcastic for, for you. <laughs> so, but yeah, I when I got to be around eight, again, I started getting dizzy. I was passing out. I started to go into congestive heart failure. I started putting on weight, and it was all fluids building around my heart. And I needed uh, surgery again on my aortic valve. So... This surgery, I remember as a eight-year-old kid being faced with, you know, really the reality of this is a major surgery and it's a, it's going to be a big ordeal. And just, I don't want to say mentally preparing, but just realize, you know, you could potentially die from this. And, and I think you are eight years old, eight years old. Now, what was your worldview at this point? Did you, were you a Christian? Was your family a Christian? Yeah, I should back up. My dad's a, a retired Baptist pastor now. So okay. I, grew, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were extremely supportive. They were with me in every surgery. And very, very supportive, very encouraging. And so they were, they were with me through this, and we went through it. And so in the fall of... 1985, I had surgery, and it was to fix my aortic valve, and it still, the surgery was successful at the time. Basically, my aorta was missing a leaflet, and it was small. And so every surgery, they would try and enlarge the size of it, and then it would shrink back down. So I had surgery at eight, and it was successful, and I really felt like okay, this is done. And then fast forward to 14, start running into trouble again. And it's the same valve. And I start to experience some of the same symptoms of passing out and congestive heart failure. So this time, the the doctors, the cardiologists want to put in an artificial valve. And you may remember this from college, Dave. I so, remember teasing you all the time. Not yeah. in mean, but we'd all tease you. You'd tease yourself. Yeah, yeah. This is my party trick. So they put in <laughs> they put in an artificial valve that was plastic, 
and it would tick like a watch. Yep. It still ticks. It's uh, as long as it doesn't stop, I'm I'm good. <laughs> but that surgery again, I remember I'm in the 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 operating room and I'm waiting to be, you know, for them to start, you know, put me to sleep. And I remember I'm reading a you remember WWF. I'm reading oh, yeah. a, a WWF the World, magazine. World Wildlife Foundation. No, I'm just kidding. The other WWF <laughs> World Wrestling Federation yeah. back then. So I remember I'm reading uh, WWF Wrestling Magazine, and it hit me. This could be the last thing I ever read. And then I'm thinking, do I, do I know where I'm going? If I'm dead in a few minutes, if, if I were to pass away, like, am I positive I know where I'm going? And I, it sounds morbid, but I think it's good in a way just to be confronted with the reality of that to have that certainty. And I remember thinking at the time, you know what? I do have peace. I am comfortable. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. And so they did the surgery. And that surgery was a major, major surgery that almost I almost died from. Okay. So I had severe bleeding that wouldn't stop. The valve was put in. It worked, but there was excessive bleeding. And so I feel like that surgery especially, we had uh, prayer chains going at my church. And really, I'm alive because people prayed. Amen, man. So it was touch or go for a few days, and then I the bleeding stopped, and I started to recover. And then, I don't know if I should say naively, but I thought that was the end of it. Okay. So I've had, up to that point, that was my third open-heart surgery. And the valve is working. My health is good. And it's good. And let, let's pause here quickly, if yeah. you don't mind. A lot of our listeners have gone through similar tragedy or, or challenges or yeah. hardships, or they've watched. And... There really is two sides to this because I can't imagine. Maybe that's a whole other interview with your parents, what they're going through, yes. watching this, and then there's the part of what you're going through, and being on the table and watching something on the table. It's two different experiences, but when you said that you had that assurance and you could go into surgery at 13, yeah. uh, I want you to talk about that a little bit because I know when I was, I think we talked in college when I was 18, I was sick for years and they found a tumor in my head the size of an orange, right? Oh, wow. And even though obviously we were both scared going into surgery, if you're out there listening you know, the Bible and you hear people talk about the peace that passeth all understanding, it's not that we weren't a little like, wow, we're going into surgery, we may die. But it really was, and I don't want to speak for you, Danny, but it sounds like it. If I died, I was okay. I really yeah. had a piece and I was ready for it. And it was actually a little excited. I was like, <laughs> well, I go through all these years of, of trash and crap and struggle, right? Let's yeah. just go to go be with God. But um, talk about that a little bit because there is a hope. Like you're 13 years old and you're maybe facing death, but you were okay with it. How did you get to that point? So anybody else listening who may be there right now and going into surgery this week, how can they handle that? I, I've got to, I would say a couple ways. I, I feel like sometimes things come across your path and we feel like we can handle them. So if I got a bill for, I don't know, $5,000, I would say, ah, 
How am I going to how am I going to come up with the money for this or what am I going to have to move around? And so I'm looking at me trying to handle this problem. If I got a bill for $500,000, I'm not losing any sleep over it because it's so far beyond me that I can't even wrap my head around it. That's what surgery was for me. It was this huge thing that if I knew I took that mantle of worrying about it, of stressing about it, something that is completely out of my control, I think I would, I don't know if I'd go insane, but it would have been a massive, massive, massive stress. So I kind of felt like this was such a huge thing to find out, oh, by the way, you're having a surgery. It's extremely serious. We hope you'll come through okay. And how do you process that? I had to give that to God. I had to take whatever worry I would have and give it to him because it was just too far beyond me. So you compartmentalized. This is what I can control. This is what I can't control. You gave all that to God. And I mean, for you, me, anybody in the hospital bed, what can we control? Yeah. Our attitude? Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, that's what it's really shown me, the... The illusion of control, like we think we're moving chess pieces around on the board, but I mean, we're doing such modest things, but God is doing so much more. And, and yeah, I may think I have control over things, but do I? I don't. The other thing, the other thing I was going to mention with that too, is it really forced a reality in my Christian walk because we can say we trust God. We can say, I have faith, but it's another thing to act it out through your actions. And so I I would say definitely when you're eight, when I was eight, I understood that a certain way. But when I'm 14 now having surgery, it's, okay, what do I really believe? Not what what's taught at my parents' church. What does my family believe? What do I believe? Because this will directly impact me. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, it really personalized my actions. And I, I had to say, look, God, you're not my parents' God, you're my God, and I'm going to trust you to get me through this. Amen. Okay, thank you, Danny. So now you're 13, you're going into the surgery, you have tons, not only did you wake up from the surgery, but you got tons of bleeding, but after a few days, man, praise God, it's stabilized. Yes. Pick up there. So... It was, it was an adjustment. And I say it was adjustment because my aortic valve was removed and they put an artificial valve in. And the doctors actually put an adult-sized valve into my heart, anticipating that I would grow into it so that I wouldn't need future surgeries. Uh. And at the time, the longest they'd had a valve last was 12 years. So the message that came to me was, yeah, it everything went great. So far, they've lasted 12 years. We expect that they'll last much longer. And so it ticked loud. And so if I'm walking or if I'm running, it's like I hear it. I don't even need to feel for my pulse. I can just count and listen. <laughs> and I would say that that chapter it, uh, closed. And I almost felt like in a way that book, that, that surgery book closed. And I remember telling my parents, you know what, I feel like this cloud is lifted. And I kind of, you know, 14 turned into 15. Then I'm looking at college. 
And then I'm starting to realize, hey, I can actually do things now. Like it's always been a dream of mine to get into martial arts. And my cardiologist, every doctor I've ever stood in front of has said, there's no way. And I said, but what if? <laughs> but what if? So in, in high school, I did get into uh, karate a bit, but I could never do tournaments. I couldn't take direct impacts to the chest, that kind of thing. But it really seemed like, hey, that, that chapter, that era of my life was over. I'm going into college. That's where I meet this guy named Dave. I don't actually remember meeting you. I just remember you were just kind of there. <laughs> I can't think back to a day where like, hi, I'm Dave, I'm Danny. No. Were, were we in the same collegian, maybe? I think, we, I think we were. I sure was. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how we met. And then I, I, me and you, I was engineering the first year. Yeah. So I didn't know anybody except my little crew in engineering. I still talk to some of them. Yeah. But I think you and I met through the collegian. I just remember hanging out with you in the commons and you yeah. were like, one of my favorite people in the world to hang out with because it was just relaxing and fun and we didn't have to worry about calculations and, <laughs> and different statics and dynamics it was just like let's laugh together and have fun yeah yeah so nothing ever bad good stuff all good no. memories i remember yeah. seeing a lot less of you when sarah came along but hey you too with carly <laughs> it's yeah. a natural progression of life my friend just you know those are our wives so yes. carly and i actually you know what that's actually true carly and i hung out i think at one point, more than you and I did, because yeah. we all had a mutual friend group, and your classes and our classes kept us separate. So while yep. Carly was waiting for you and I, and I was waiting for Sarah, we'd hang out a lot, actually, for a yep. while. Yeah, because oh, she crazy. was like, how do you know Dave? I'm like, no, I know Dave. <laughs> so That's awesome, man. So let's get back to the your story. Everybody's yeah. like, well, I want to hear about Danny. Well, it's, no, it was weird. It, was, it really felt like that era of my life was over with mm -hmm. the surgeries. And so we're at college, we're getting our master's degree in art. Carly and I get married. We move back to Ottawa. We're, we're, you know, we're establishing a family here. And you know, it's done. Like that time is done. And I remember walking with Carly, I don't know, maybe three or four, well, about four years ago. And we were just kind of talking and we're out walking. And I said, you know what? I look at my parents. And my dad, my mom, they've been through so many different things in life. And I was just kind of reminiscing a bit. And I remember saying to her, you know what? I think we're kind of naive if we think we're just going to eke out the next 20 years of our life and nothing's going to happen. And so she's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. So I notice probably about six months after that conversation, this was back in 2016, I started to get some bruising. And I didn't think anything of it. I, I started jiu-jitsu a few years ago at my... Good man. My I doctors, yeah, my doctors weren't too happy, but I said, look, no tournaments, but everything else. And they're like, okay. So I started getting some bruising and I thought, oh, that's kind of odd, must be training too hard. Well, then I started to get a lot of bruising. And then I'm counting mm. like 17 bruises everywhere. I'm like, something's going on. So I'm noticing all these bruises. And because I'm taking, because I, I have an artificial valve, I have to take blood thinners. And I'm taking my blood thinners one day and I'm pouring out the pills. And I look at the dosage. I'm like, that doesn't look right. And the pharmacy had made a mistake on my prescription. 
And so oh, man. F- for about a month, I had been taking a double dose of blood thinners. And so, and it's very serious because I'm thinking, man, if I cut myself or I'm in a car accident, I'm going to bleed to death in like two minutes. Oh, yeah. So I stopped training. I saw my doctor. He got that under control. But that kind of kick-started a chain of events. He said, look, let's get a CT scan done of your heart just to make sure everything's good. And, you know, we look at things as accidents. But I had the CT scan done. And, I mean, I go every year for a checkup. And they're always checking my, my heart to make sure everything looks good. Well, one angle has always been kind of fuzzy. And so they're checking it again and they say, you know what? It's fuzzy. We're going we're gonna to really investigate to see what's going on here. Because of that, they look and my aortic arch is enlarged, like massively enlarged. Oh, wow. And they didn't pick up on it. They don't know how long it was like that. And so at the time, I'm training for a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And it's really hitting me. You know, if this had not happened, if the pharmacy had not made this mistake, I would have been training, my aorta would have burst, and I would have dropped dead. Yep. And it wasn't the events at the time. It's when you reflect back on them. And, you, and I said, wow, like... I came really close to dying here. So, and what a great perspective you have too, because some people could have said, man, that guy messed up. Now I'm sick and blah, 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 blah. Now I'm going to sue them when really look at what the blessing it turned to. Well, it's funny you say that because the pharmacy was terrified that I was going to sue them. And I talked to my doctor and he says, look, you haven't been hospitalized. You haven't, you haven't, you know, missed any work. So he says, I wouldn't pursue it. But I did go to them after all this. And I, I found the lady in charge of, of the pharmacy. And I said, look, I want you to know, because of this error, my doctors did testing that found my aorta arches enlarged. And I'm going to have surgery to fix it. If this had not happened, I would be dead. And I want you to know, God used this mistake. He used you to help keep me alive. And she was almost in tears. Yeah, I don't know. She was it was not what she was expecting. She's expecting, you know, something far different. But I do look at it, you know, we would look at that and say, how dare they? But I'm looking at saying, God, thank you. Thank you. Yep. And so my aorta was very enlarged. I had to stop anything that would aggravate it. And so, again, this time in my life, this book is reopening, another chapter of another surgery. And I'd been without surgeries for, man, almost 20 years. It was 18, 18 17 years without surgery. Or, no, I'm so sorry. how old are you at this I'm point? I'm sorry, 20, 27 years. So, so you're I, tw- are you 35 at this point? How old are you? No. Well, so at I, the time of the surgery, not right at now. The, at the time of the surgery, I was 41. 41, okay. Yeah, so I'm 43 now. But I remember going back into surgery, and it's those same things again. Hey. I could be dead in a few minutes. How do I feel about this? And you talk about uh, peace. And that's one thing, Carly and I, and this is different because it's not just me going through this with my parents. Now it's my family. You know, my wife, my kids. My kids are, you know, young teens now. Yeah. 
And it was a trial for our family, for sure. And so I had actually, in the months leading up to the surgery, I had written each of them a note saying, you know, just kind of pouring out my heart. Like, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to read this note. And I did that for each of the kids. And I did that with Carly. I got all of our financial information ready, the will ready, all of that ready, so that if something happened, you know what, they were they were taken care of. And isn't that, talk about that for a second, because that's hard, man. I've had to do that. And talk about just, it's one of those things that you're being responsible and you know it's the right thing to do and there's a comfort in it, but there's also this like, eh, how, how, how did you get through just that? Because you know, look at statistics, you know how many people die and they push it off, push it off, and then it's a nightmare for the family afterwards because everything's court and probate and arguments. It's really important to have your affairs in order. So talk oh, yeah. about that a little bit to the listener and maybe even how to get through that. Like <laughs> mentally, I don't want to, but how did you make it happen? So at the time, this was 2017, my surgery was scheduled for March. And so the December before that, December 2016, we had a family friend who had a stroke and He's in the hospital trying to give her all the banking passwords, give his wife all the banking passwords. He's trying to, you know, oh, this is there and this account is here. And I remember hearing that thinking, I am not doing that. I'm going to have all this ready. So in a way, it felt like there's homework I got to do before I'm ready for this big test. <laughs> mm -hmm. But my, I will say at that time, it really made my emotions raw. Like I, I, I cried I don't know how many times in the months leading up. And it wasn't fear, it was, I don't know if it was just emotion, but I remember like, okay, I wanna, what do I say to my kids? You, I mean, you have kids, what would mm -hmm. you say to them? What would you want to say to them that you would want them to know 10 years from now? Like if this yeah. is your final message. And so man, I struggled with what do I say to my kids? What message do I want them? Do I want to leave them with? Yeah, it's such a fine line too. So yeah. hard. And I found those notes really difficult. And the one for Carly was actually the easiest because, you know, we've we've kept a close relationship. I didn't really feel like, well, there's stuff I got to tell you that you don't know. There was none of that. It was, you know, yeah. you know where we stand. And so I actually found her note to be the easiest. So I feel like <clears throat> I am trusting God and praying that, you know, the surgery will go well. But I'm also making plans so that in the off chance something didn't, they will not be left hanging. So I felt it was a responsibility, I felt, that I needed to do this. And mm -hmm. just for her peace of mind for my peace of mind. And once I did that, I finished that, I don't know, a couple months before my surgery in January, and I had peace. I'm like, okay, I'm done. It's like you're studying for a test. You know, you do what you need to do, that's done. And then I can go through this. And it was, again, this was different because for me, it was something very familiar. I've had multiple surgeries, but for my wife Carly and my kids, this is brand new. Yeah. Yep. And there's and, nothing you can do and you're just watching them no. wonder and fear and suffer. 
Yeah. So in some ways, it's like, you know, I, I told Carly, I said, okay, this is going to happen, then this, then this, then this, and the doctors are going to do this. Like, I, I'm seeing it all boom, 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 boom. Here's what's going to happen. But to her, it's all a new experience. Yeah. And that's when it's really hit me as a dad now. I understand way better what my parents went through. Where, you know, when I was younger, I thought, well, I just had the surgery and, you know, I got through it. Now, can I imagine my kids going through that? No way. Like, I would go through surgery a hundred times before I'd want to see them go through that. So, my perspective as a father was very different going through it this time. How old were your kids at that point? They would have been roughly 15. No, I'm sorry. They would have been 13, 11, and 9. So okay. It would so, have, they were aware and they know... They knew what was going on. It wasn't yeah. like dad's having surgery and he's coming back with ice cream. You know, everything's be fine. They no. knew the severity of it. No. And even even how we handled it, when I found out I was going to need surgery, I, we, we talked. And do we handle this privately? Do we go make it more public? And I really felt, you know what? I want to go as public with this as I, as I, as I reasonably can because people are watching. And... I, I firmly believe, I still believe this, that there is purpose in suffering. There is a reason why we go through things. And maybe what I go through will help somebody else in what they're going through. So the months leading up to the surgery, I would say I was very emotional, but I was calm and I was confident about where I was going. And it was the same time. I'm being wheeled into the operating room. I'm joking with the doctors. You know, I'm asking them, can you do a hair transplant? Make, you know, give me some hair while you're at it. <laughs> but what the surgery was to do, they were going to replace my aortic arch and they were going to replace my aortic valve and give me one like brand new plastic piece. And I'm like, this sounds cool. But what happened when they opened me up is they actually found. It ended up being an emergency surgery. And so what they found Like it was, wasn't complicated enough, right? Yeah, it was it was It uh, wasn't complicated enough. Let's just throw another variable in there. Yeah, so they they had their plan, but what had happened is my aortic arch had burst. And so wow. when when they've opened me up, it's burst and it's bleeding and it turned into like, okay, this is an emergency. We're just going to try and salvage what we can do. And you hear about it in the news from time to time, people with aortic aneurysms. I mean, it bursts and you've got a few minutes and you're dead. Yeah. I and think didn't John Ritter die that way? John Ritter, Alan Thicke was another one that passed away. Oh, couple, yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah. yeah. So it was an emergency surgery and it was extremely touch or go for several days. I was kept asleep for several days after the surgery just for additional time to recover. But when I woke up, I had no idea any of this had happened. But this surgery, more than any of the others, has really impacted me. Because you realize, man, it's not just you came close to dying once or twice, but this is the third time, and this was really serious. And this really shook us as a family because this is a really hard thing to go through. 
and but we got but God brought us through it. And so I recovered. We actually had a few other things as I'm recovering that happened. You know, heart surgery is one thing, but I had some other issues that went on. My my car died. I wasn't even allowed to drive for 10 weeks, but my car died while it's hmm. sitting in the driveway. So that happened. There was a mix-up with our employment insurance. So I went about 15 weeks with no income. One of my wow. part one of my part-time jobs that I was working, they they had to let me go. So it was all these things. It wasn't just the heart surgery. It was multiple things that hitting us as a family. But I will say what that time really taught me is you can trust God when you go through very difficult things. And I really feel like, you know, God took the safety net away. And can you trust him when there's no safety net? Yes. Man. Okay. You and I know and have experienced and probably will continue to experience <laughs> the threshold of us being stretched to the point where we're terrified and like, God, how is this going to work? And then he comes through. But for our listeners, we always talk about what are the problems and then what are the practical steps, how you solve that problem. So on your side, as on our side, what are the things you did? You're physically recovering, a major recovery. This isn't even like you broke your arm. I mean, this is serious. Yeah. You're worried about income. You're worried about providing for your family. You're worried still, you know, am I going to make it or not? Am I going to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle? You know, a lot of stuff going through your head. So how do you go from being in bed, watching all these financial burdens, your car is dead, your jobs are being lost, no income for 15, 15 weeks. How do you go from there where you're getting through each day in peace to recovering? Talk about that to the listener. One word. And that is walk. Walk. And not lay, I, not stop, right? Yeah. Go. And what I mean by that is everything that I did came to a grinding halt. Everything. And so I had to learn to walk. And walking is something you do slowly. It's something that's measured. It's not a run. It's not a sprint. It's just a walk. So what that meant was... As part of my recovery, if the doctors say, do this, guess what? I do exactly what they say. If if they say, walk 10 minutes today, then I'm going to walk 10 minutes that day. If the problem that we're facing is not directly related to that day, it's not today's problem. I can focus on this, not things way off in the distance. And so that's what we learn to do. And we were surrounded by people that were extremely supportive and it's it sounds i don't know if it sounds silly but it was hard to be on the receiving end of people's generosity where people would come in and do things people would come in and bring meals or some people you know gave us money or some people just did things around my someone came by my house and mowed the lawn because i couldn't do it my son was mm -hmm. at school People did things, and it's. I found that really hard to accept that generosity from others, because no, no, I don't, I don't need your help. I can, you know, I'll be okay. But no, letting people come into your life and do things to be a blessing, 
that was huge. And it was, a, a, I look back and I'm, and I'm thinking that's, that's a humility. That's just having a humble attitude, letting people help you, admitting you need, you have needs and letting people help you. But really, it was just, there was great joy. I'm sure they were getting from oh, yeah. helping you. It wasn't a burden to them. They were thankful. Everybody loves you, man. And they want to help. And that's what we're here for, right? Help each other, love each other. Yeah. And, and that's why, like, if I knew somebody had a need, I wouldn't think twice. But if they said, no, I don't want your help, they're robbing me of a blessing that I can show to them. So it was, yeah. it was, it was very different being on the receiving end of that. But I don't know, when you're sick like that, your world gets very small. And what I mean by that is your world becomes about you and what time you have to take your pain medication, what time you have to walk, what time you have to sleep. Your world is you. Mm-hmm. And am I thinking about what I have to do at work? No. Am I thinking about all these other things? No. But so my world got very small and it forced me just to really focus on well, what's important. You know, and it, that time with my kids, that time with my, my wife, Carly, that's important. Being with them is important. And it's, I'm going to say something. It sounds incredibly morbid, but it's not. It's something that's really stuck with me. What makes our time special with the people that we have in our life is that it's limited. I have, I'm not guaranteed I'm going to live another 20, 30, 40 years. What makes my time special with my kids right now? Well, I better spend time with them because we don't know. Nothing's guaranteed. So how you spend your time, what you do, it matters because you're not guaranteed. Yeah. And even if someone is perfect health, they've never had an issue, they could go and get in a car accident today. They can go out and have something completely September 11th. I don't want to bring up a bad date. You know, how many people died? They just went to work like everything was normal. So, yeah, what you're saying is 100% biblical, 100% true, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Because what really does matter? You know, God and other people. Yeah. So that that's really hit home for me. But where the walking comes in, it's, it's I, for me personally, I've, I've just had to slow life down. I was very busy doing a lot of different things that I just had to cut out. And I don't even like the word busy, Dave. I like the word full. Full. So I hate saying, oh, was your weekend? Oh, it was busy. Well, it was full. I was doing things, but they were intentional things that I wanted to do. And so since, since I've had surgery, I've really slowed down what I do. And I've learned to walk. Physically, I still walk every single day. The, the hospital, as part of my recovery, told me, you got to walk every day. And I'm doing that every day. If I'm not doing jiu-jitsu or if I'm not running or swimming or something else, I am walking every day. And that's something that I've kept. And that time to walk is just a time to reflect. It's a time to pray. It's a time to listen to music. It's a time to listen to your podcast. It's uh, a... <laughs> It's just a time just to really slow things down. Talk about that more because 
when we were kids and when we were young, we're like, why are people walking? What the heck? You don't get exercise walking. I'm breaking a sweat. But the truth is, man, I feel the same way you do when I walk. It's not like <laughs> marathon Olympic speed walking. No. It's not breaking a sweat a lot of times. But there, what is what? describe the magic of walking because it really is. Oh, I, 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 I say it. Walking is not for my body. It's for my brain. Yeah. And the beauty of it is self-care is an idea that's become very popular in the past few years. It's a form of self-care. It's a time to say, look, yeah, life is extremely busy. I need time to reflect. I need time to just think through things. Or it's my time to talk with God. It's just kind of... It's recess break, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But the value I've found for me is I've been able to invite a lot of people to walk with me. And that's a great time just to share your faith, just to catch up to people, to show them you care. There's times now when if I have a meeting, I'll say, hey, let's walk. And we do yes, a walk. Yes, I do the talk. same thing. I love it. I do too. And you get more accomplished. Yes. I really believe there's an association between physically moving and how your brain flows. Yeah. So that that walking has become huge. I've started a walking group in my area. And nice. uh, I'll have people join me. I've started a walking group at work. And so 10 o'clock every morning, they go out. And so you're like the Forrest Gump without the hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go cross country. We'll make you a t-shirt that says walk. And we'll go cross country with Danny Covey, not yeah. Covey. Not cover, yeah. So, but the walking, yeah, that's that's something. It's like I really treasure that time, and it's a time just to focus on other people if they're with me and just listen. Like I don't need to talk; just talk to me. And it's been incredible. There's people that have walked with me that I wouldn't normally spend time with or interact with in my normal life, but we're together, and I'm listening, and we're doing that, and it's amazing. And I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, that's great, man. And that's what I was going to ask, because a lot of people are ill right now. Some people have never been athletic. Some people are, were super athletic. And they're like, well, I can't do that. So they just sit there and kind of waste away. But, man, I, I don't want to speak for you, but if you agree with this, if you don't, just say it. But I think if you can get up and literally walk down the hall and that's all you can do, do it. Yeah. And then keep doing that until you can walk up and down the hall twice. If you can go and do a quarter mile in your neighborhood, do a quarter mile in your neighborhood and then build it up. I'm a firm believer and just do what you can and push yourself just a little bit. I'm not saying harm yourself, but always push yourself so you have some growth. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. My first walk was two minutes. Two minutes. I, I basically, I, was just, I, was, I could hardly move. Carly's holding my arm. We're walking down the the, road, the street, and she's like, there's your two minutes. We turn around, we come back. And I was so wiped out from that, I took like a two-hour nap. <laughs> <laughs> but the next day, it was six minutes. And to where now, like I was doing like an hour and a half of walking a day. I've had to cut back a little bit. I do an hour just because of time. But I still need that time. And absolutely, if you... If you can only do two minutes, do two minutes. Mm -hmm. Make it a habit. And then once you do two minutes, guess what? You're going to say, I can do four. I can do 10. I can do 20. It's going gonna, it's gonna to compound over time. Yeah. And the other thing, too, if you're listening, 
when you're walking, you have that time to think, you have that time to pray, to meditate, however you, whatever your worldview is. But I'll listen to content. Like I'll listen to, sometimes I'll listen to the Bible on audio. Sometimes I'll listen to a motivational message. Uh, Sometimes I've listened to books on, you know, through Audible or a service like that. Podcasts, huge podcast. I'm not saying that, hey, what the Remarkable People podcast, but, you know, podcasts, whatever is going to help you grow. But that takes my mind off it where I'm not even thinking about it. And I tend to go further without even trying. Is that how you are? Absolutely. Like if I'm listening to a two hour podcast on something. I don't care what my distance is. I'm walking until I finish this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that might turn into a two-hour walk. But hey, I've just filled my mind with these things. That's, that's the other part I should, I should talk about is one of the walks I was doing, like it starts to rain. I'm feeling sorry for myself. I can barely walk. And I'm thinking like I want to get back into jiu-jitsu someday, but I can barely lift my arms. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself. But that time that I walk is changing my focus. It's not on me. If I'm at home in a bed, my focus is entirely on me. If I'm out, it's changing what I'm looking at. Literally, like I'm looking at trees, I'm looking at squirrels, I'm looking at a path, I'm listening to something. That literally changes my focus. So especially during that time, I really tried to fill my mind with things that would encourage me and things that would help me. Mm-hmm. And even even getting back into jiu-jitsu, again, I just had this surgery and I had to wait about six to eight months to... Actually, I took almost a year off before I went back into it. And my again, my cardiologist is like, you can't do this. So I'm literally showing him clips on YouTube. This is what we do. He thinking he thinks it's MMA, right? He thinks it's UFC. Yeah. And I said, no, no, no. It's, it's in a controlled environment. So I'm showing him these videos. And he's like, well, just be careful. Not happy, but, you know, what's he going to do? You know what? Let's talk. Describe some people who are listening. We've, we must have dropped Jiu-Jitsu's name 12 times. <laughs> and, you know, even in college, I was a wrestler. And yes. I love wrestling. And I do not do not in any way want to shame the wrestling community, but the best jujitsu people typically have a wrestling background. But if I had to say to any listener, male, female, old, young, healthy, sick, jujitsu to me is the number one sport. It's so amazing and balanced. Describe for the audience what jujitsu is and why for you it's the right sport and why it benefits your life because i know tons of people who do jujitsu and the mat is the least amount of benefit in their life it, it bleeds over into every aspect of life so talk to us about jujitsu for a bit jujitsu is the gentle art of putting people to sleep <laughs> <laughs> no that's not all of it no uh jujitsu is really for me, it's drilling moves, working through, thinking through moves for a situation that probably will never happen. But it is training my mind to face life. And what I mean and it's by kind of like chess. You're thinking ahead, not just yes. in the moment. So I, the other way I've, I've talked about it, it's it's like chess with your body. 
if they do this, <laughs> I'm going to do this. If they try this move, then I'm going to, you know, do this and checkmate, you know? So I and found... And you're a 300-pound sweaty guy on you. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Cheer checkmate. <laughs> no, no. That's one of the benefits of jiu-jitsu if you're listening. You can be 105 pounds wet and learn to properly defend yourself versus a seriously six foot eight monster and you can be confident doing so it's i mean weight helps size helps strength helps but i think the original like practitioners in the gracie family yes i don't think the gentleman could ever even do a pull-up in his whole life and he'd have contests fighting every martial art in the world and he'd dominate every time jiu-jitsu is actually a big part of my recovery even when i couldn't do it because what I would do, I would walk to the dojo and I would just sit and watch. And even the strain of moving my arms, of stretching hurt so bad that I would just, in my mind, watch the, watch the moves and try and understand it in my mind. Because it's not just somebody throws a punch and you react and do it. You're flowing through a series of moves in your mind and you want it to be so drilled that you just do it without thinking so i find there's a massive mental component to it there's a physical component and i don't i don't know if i would say there's a spiritual component but there's a component where you feel beaten down like there's days you train and you're getting submitted and tapped and choked and you're like what am i doing here Mm -hmm. but you come back and maybe the next day it happens a little bit less or maybe in two days, you're submitting somebody once. So it's a constant mirror in a way of what's my resolve? Am I just going to quit when things get difficult? Or am I going to work through it, be patient, and continue to train? And so a lot of times, even when I couldn't train, I would just watch. And as I'm recovering... I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can go back in the dojo. So I, one of my training partners, I'm like, okay, rubber hits the road, throw me. I got to see how it feels. I got to make sure nothing's going to break. Just throw me. And I land. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Nothing hurts. Okay, I'm going to throw you. Can I do it? And that's kind of how I eased back into it. It's just kind of testing the waters a little bit. Getting the green light from my doctors, of course. But then walking through it and it's funny even my parents you know after i'd had surgery they said well you're you're a brown belt that's good enough good job (laughs) you know nobody could do what you've done and and i said well you don't you don't drive three quarters of the way to your destination then turn back and you're proud of how far you went nice but about 20 months after i had my open heart surgery i received my black belt Congratulations, buddy. And I'll never forget, my my dad wrote me and he says, we're not happy about it, but your mother and I are very proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) So, And uh, I want to point out, Danny, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. In a legit jujitsu environment, a black belt is not something that's handed out. It's not like, I don't want to bash any disciplines, but it's not like a lot of other disciplines where... You just show up, you pay your monthly dues, and after a certain amount of time, you get it or pass this test and do this form. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is pretty intense. If you're a brown belt, that's the real deal. That's not somebody you want to get in a conflict with. But to go to that black belt 
black belt level, you're ugly, man, but you're dangerous. <laughs> it was so congrats. It, it was honestly, it was, it was something that I prayed a lot about, and I honestly didn't know if I could do because of what it takes. And I'm, you know, if you work hard to grapple, I'm working twice as hard because I got a bad heart. Mm-hmm. And so the year leading up to getting my black belt, I'm thinking, can I actually do this? Do I have it within me? You know, my heart can only go so far. You know, I've been told, like, you push your heart, but there's a certain point you don't push past. So can I do it? And so, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was, was a personal challenge. And it was exciting to see it, you know, just to get through it and just be like, wow, look what, look what God helped me do. It's amazing. And jiu-jitsu is one of those sports you can continue to do till you're 80. Oh, you yeah. never have to stop. Yeah, I'm training for my second degree now. It's uh, so it's exciting, but again, it's it's new. You're constant learning. It's it's frustrating at times. It's discouraging at times. But then when you get it, it's so exciting. When you finally oh, yeah. get something that you've been working on, and I like what my he's our Sheehan. I like what he said. He said, "You don't earn a black belt. You don't become a black belt." He said, "You are a black belt." Hmm. He says it's something that you. It's a mantle you become. And and it's it's true because there's a whole mindset that goes into it. There's a whole physical training and mental training that goes into it. And how long total from the first day of jujitsu till today? How long have you been practicing? Oh probably I'll say close to seven, seven years, almost eight years. Wow. So f- for any human, that's a fast transition. Seven years in jujitsu is quick. Yeah. To get a black belt. So Danny, you're a stud, man. Well. You're doing it with with twice, three times the challenge and you're making it happen. I'm proud of you. Yeah. And it's 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 been very it's been a very good thing to do. I haven't really talked much about this, but with this surgery, because it was an emergency surgery, and I was without blood or oxygen for about nine minutes during surgery, it's left me with a few challenges i will say that there was a bit of brain trauma that i had Mm. so i've noticed things like you know i'm forgetting more or i get lost when i go to work that kind of thing where now i've had to really back up and say whoa this this is something i it's new i never dreamed you know i'd be having uh, cognitive challenges like this and you know people kind of joke and say well you're it's just part of age but it's it's a direct result of my surgery, but I find even the jiu-jitsu training where it's demanding you mentally and then it's demanding physically, it's such a help. Yeah, keep doing it, man. Yeah. Keep doing it. Any human, if we're not constantly growing and learning, our mind will deteriorate just like our body will. And you're a smart man, dude. Speaking of smart, let's talk about our sponsor today, Squadcast. If you are in the podcasting world, chances are you've heard of Squadcast, but you may not know exactly what they do differently than other solutions out there. Well, I'm going to tell you why I love Squadcast. Actually, I'm only going to give you two reasons today why I love Squadcast, but they're big ones. The number one reason why I love Squadcast is this. As I'm recording myself in Pensacola, Florida, and my guests anywhere around the world, It is taking the information straight to my hard drive 
And when the internet is strong, it sends up packets every nine seconds on my side and my guest side to make sure the quality is there and safe in the cloud. However, if the bandwidth fails or there's some kind of interruption in the force, then what happens is Squadcast continues, unlike other solutions out there, Squadcast continues to record to your hard drive until it can safely and with high quality bring it back to the cloud. So if you're interviewing a guest or you're being interviewed, there's never a loss in the conversation. You just keep going and then at the end, boom, magically it appears. Two channels of audio with all of your information perfectly intact. So that's the number one reason why I love Squadcast and close behind and actually maybe even ahead is number two, the customer service. I'm serious. Probably some of the best customer service I've received from any type of company in years at Squadcast. These guys are there. They're always trying to grow and improve, but they have a you-centered philosophy where they look at you as the podcaster and what you need to grow, and they're working tirelessly to help you succeed. So check out Squadcast. You can look in the show notes, get a special discount link from my site, or you can go to Squadcast FM. But either way, check out Squadcast if you're into podcasting or if you need to have conversations for legal reasons that are recorded, you will not be disappointed. This is Dave Pasqualone with the Remarkable People Podcast. Now let's get back to Danny in this episode. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about one more thing too. I mean, I don't want to, some people have no interest in martial arts, but (laughs) man, for self-defense, for every aspect, I'm a big, big fan of jujitsu. And just, you know, there's no striking. You're not punching people in the face. You're not elbowing them. You're not kicking. Me and Danny are joking around. You know, you give each other hugs in jujitsu, choke (laughs) each other out, but there's no damage. It's, it's awesome. I mean, you might sprain a couple of fingers, but who cares? They heal. And that's what tape's for, right? That's right. <laughs> but no, let's go back to this. Throughout everything that you've gone through, you're 43 now, there's been that constant foundation of hope in Christ. And on your side, there's been a constant, and I'm sure you've had ups and downs, but the thing that got you through is that positive mental attitude. You've always been a fun guy and a funny guy. And the Bible says straight up, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And, you know, it talks about how if we're sad, it's like rottenness to the bones. So I know, I'm not, I don't even have to ask you the question. I know that humor had a huge part in your recovery and existence and being here today. So talk about humor. Talk about fun. Talk about how you see the world and how you use humor to heal. Well, if you don't laugh, you cry. (laughs) Like you, there's there's situations where you could bawl your eyes out. It's horrible. It's not pleasant. Or you can I don't want to say make light of it, but you can find a unique perspective on it. And it's not that you're dismissing the situation, but there were lots of times in the hospital where you're just suffering, and. You, it's not that you try and find humor in it, but you try to find something that can make you smile. I'll give you a good example. There was one night I was in the hospital in a lot of pain, couldn't sleep, and I'm laying in bed and I thought, I need to get up. 
I can't even get up by myself. So I had to call the nurse. She's like helping me up. And she says, what do you want? I said, I need to just kind of walk around. And so I'm shuffling around. I'm hurting. And I'm kind of walking down the hallway. And as I pass by each room, I hear other people. And they're in pain as well. And I'm walking by and I hear these groans from different people. And it's, and I'm walking and I start laughing. And I'm laughing because this sounds like an episode of The Walking Dead. I'm walking. I just hear all these 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 poor people suffering, like me, and we all sound like a bunch of zombies. Like, and that was just that little moment took me from feeling sorry for myself, focusing on the pain I was in, to hey, this struck me as funny. Yep. And I find there's a lot of times that you do that. You can. You're at a point in a situation, you could be arguing with a spouse. You could be about to get angry. You could be doing something. Or you make a joke. You make light of it. And it can flip a situation so quickly just by choosing something light rather than just giving in to negative emotion. So yeah. with, with with all my surgeries... I wouldn't say I've tried to make light of them or joke about them, but I've tried to find humor in them. So when I was younger, I would actually cartoon my my cardiologist. I drew pictures of him. Hmm. Or I'd be doodling pictures for the nurses. Or, you know, my last surgery, I would just try and find something light to say. to get. It's almost to get your mind off of, you know what, I could go very dark here. And life is not always pleasant. But what yeah. you choose to focus on and think about is where you're headed. So yes. if you can focus on, you know what? Yes, this is a horrible situation, but it's not permanent. It will get better. And if I can focus on that or find something humorous about the situation to help point me in a better direction, then I'll do that. So if I'm hearing you correctly... Steps to wellness are, you know, look ahead, set those goals, find the humor and the good in the situation. If you have that negative thought, don't let it stick and just dwell on it. Just keep looking at that positive. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct. And and really, too, it's it's part of your expectation. Oh, that's good. Yeah, go there. That's very important. And what I mean by that is I do think in a large part, there's a lot of life that's hard and it's difficult. And if I spend my time focusing on, you know, I've had it this bad and this happened to me. A lot of people have had things, horribly bad things that have happened to them. But what's your expectation? Are you going to stay here? Or what am I focusing on? My parents used to tell me, like, they, when they were discouraged, they'd walk around the hospital. And they'd see some of the other families. And what they were going through. And you realize, hold on, mine's not the worst situation out there. This this surgery, you know, again, I had a day where I'm, I'm kind of discouraged and not feeling well. And I bump into another guy at the hospital. And Dave, I notice his hands are covered and his nose is black. 
And so we're asking, well, what happened to you? He had a heart attack. Uh, he was in his truck. He was going to bed. He'd run out to his truck in the middle of winter, had a heart attack outside, and was outside all night in the freezing cold before his wife noticed. And because he was outside in the cold, it slowed his heart enough that he didn't die. But as a consequence, he got frostbite on his fingers, his nose, and his toes. So I'm looking at him I'm like, man, that's horrible. Like, not only does he have heart surgery and a bad heart, but he's got to have cosmetic surgery for all these other things. Dave, he was the happiest guy. He was so grateful to be alive that he was still here. That when I see that and I look at me, I'm thinking, I don't have it that bad. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This is my fourth surgery. This is something I'm very familiar with. I know what to expect. This could have been totally new. But yet it's something very familiar and something that I know what to expect. I've got, I can't complain. I mean, there's so many people that have it worse. Yeah. And this part's hard for me. Um, I'd, I'd say more than any other surgery, it's that there's been, um, I don't want to say survivor's guilt, but, you know, this is my third time where I've almost died and it was really close. And I'm just left with, God, why, why me? And there's people that we've prayed for, my family's prayed for, who are going through cancer, they're going through other things. And they don't make it. And then I'm left saying, well, why am I still here? Why why did I make it and not them? Like, could I switch places with them? And I've really wrestled with that. Why? Why me? And the thing that I've had to come back to is God's not done yet. He's not done with me yet. And there is a purpose to it. And more and more, I'm looking at it too. You know, my my trial today, my struggle today is somebody else's survival guide tomorrow. People need to hear what you go through. You, you go through a hard time. People need to hear about it because that may be what gets them through their hard time. And so having this opportunity to talk to you on this podcast, that's why I survived because Somebody, one of your listeners, needs to hear this. If they can make sense of it. You know, they need to hear the message behind it. That there is reason, there is purpose, there is... It's not all just random. That God has a specific design and use for them. Yes. And thank you for sharing today, Danny, because you, I couldn't agree more with you. If God was done with us, we'd be gone. Yeah. <laughs> we have... There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. And you definitely have a purpose and plan. God has a purpose and plan for you. So, I mean, as your buddy who loves you, man, don't feel guilty. Feel excited, dude. You're here for a reason. I'm thankful you're here. I'm sure your wife and kids are thankful you're yep. here. And all our listeners are thankful you're here. Yeah. So, just keep telling your story, bro. And I'll help you if you... When you get ready, start your own podcast. <laughs> the yeah. Danny... The Danny Not Covey story. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Danny Covey. I don't know why I keep thinking about this, but in my mind, you keep we're, we're talking about perspective and expectations, and 
waking up out of those hard surgeries. And I, I, I'm going to talk about it because I feel like it's, it's on my mind. God's put it there for a reason. Dude, I just remember waking up. I had two major surgeries a year apart, yeah, nine months apart, whatever. But I remember waking up and as odd as it sounds, I had to lay in bed flat for a couple of days. And that was the most agonizing, painful thing I've ever experienced. But, dude, I remember just the joy of taking a shower for the first time. Yeah. Dude, I didn't care about eating. I didn't care about anything. The only thing I want to do is take a shower to get all that. I I just, and I don't want to be gross, but I just felt dirty and I just had surgery and they cut me open and their hands are me. I'm like, I just want to take a shower with a bar of soap, (laughs) right? But to me, that was a huge moment and accomplishment and joy. What were moments like that for you? Because I'm sure we all have them. But what was something that we we take for granted every day, but after we get through this freaking literal war in our bodies, in our minds, in our lives, what, what was one of those just moments you're like, yeah, man, I did it. This is this is, this is a blessing, a privilege. I can't believe I took for granted a hot shower for all these years. Again, your world gets small. Like yeah. for you, it was like, I just want to shower. And that's a huge deal. For me, I think even in the hospital, being able to dress myself, <laughs> you know, that's progress. When you when you can't move or you're sedated for several days, and then suddenly you can sit up by yourself, that's huge. Yeah. I remember they they said you can't leave until you can walk two flights of stairs. So I'm out there, like, dragging myself up these stairs and down the stairs. I'm like, I can't breathe. Half my lungs are, you know, they feel like they're collapsed. I can't, you know, it's extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I just walked on a set of stairs. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Or today I stepped outside, and that's huge. And again, I think it just comes back to your focus. I'm walking on the path. There's a path near my house that I, I walk on almost every day, not not quite. And I'm on that path and I'm just I'm just thinking about that Superman theme. And I'm thinking about getting back into jujitsu, but yet I'm just shuffling one foot in front of another. And I was so happy because yeah. it's a modest step in the right direction. And that's the big thing too, is I whether it's, I'm not going to bring it back to jiu-jitsu, but if you're a white belt and all you care about is that black belt, every day is going to be work. You have to love the process. If I am sick and I want a breakthrough, I just have to look at what's better today that I couldn't do yesterday. You know, maybe today I can walk up and down the stairs or maybe today i can walk a mile where yesterday i couldn't and it's just it's just celebrating those little things along the way not focusing on i'm so far away from where i want to be it's look where i was yesterday yeah and let's let's clarify something you just said you said you have to love the process yes and i know what you mean by that but you didn't love and our listeners aren't going to love the agony of going through forcing yourself to take a step, the agony of sitting up in bed when your chest feels like it's going to explode, 
they're not going to like the agony of being in a class and doing the same move 500 times until you get it right. So talk about what you mean by that, because I, I understand it, but <clears throat> we're loving the journey and we're loving the progress because we're going for the goal where there's no vision that people perish. But talk about how you motivate yourself because don't tell me you didn't want to quit. Of course I did. Don't tell me in your mind, you're not thinking, damn, this hurts so bad. I just want to lay down. But what kept Danny Covey up moving forward? How did you walk? Like that word you use, the walk, the do. What keeps you going when the temptation, that evil says quit? Because if you don't, you stay. If I do nothing, I don't get better. If I take a step forward when it hurts, when I'm in pain, when I'm crying because I'm miserable, every step I take is getting me closer to getting better. So I may hate it. It may hurt me. It may be painful. But if I don't do it, I stay still. If I do those steps, if I, if I walk, if I'm stretching, even though it hurts, every time I do that, I'm getting better. It's getting me closer to that end goal. And so and that's what you love. That's, that's what I, that's what I love. And I'm going to, I want to, I want to, this is kind of a little aside, but I want to spend a minute on this. Dave, I hate needles. Like I have, uh, I have an acute fear and phobia of needles. Like they terrify me. After I had surgery when I was 14, I was put on blood thinners. I have to get my blood checked once a month for the rest of my life. So every month I go for blood work and I hated it. In the beginning, I was going every two days. Then it was every week. Then it was once a month because they're, they're trying to regulate your blood. And, you know, a day ahead, I'm like panicky. I'm like, oh, I got to get a needle. And I hated it. And then this surgery, the week before surgery, I have to give myself needles. And as soon as they told me, look, you have to give yourself needles a week before, I started laughing because I hate them so much. And yet here I am not only getting them, and now I got to give them to myself. And I started laughing. That's mentally an adjustment. I mean, how oh. do you do that? Well, here's what I did. And, 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 I'm, and I've, I've tried every mental game there is. I really have. But this is, this is what I've come around to, and this is what has helped me. I hate them, but if I didn't get them, I would not have the health that I have. If I didn't get my blood work checked, my I could have a blood clot and die. So instead of looking at them as something that I hate, they are a necessary evil to continue to have excellent health. And that's what I've had to do is they are a means to good health. And I'm and I mentally made that switch. So even now, when I go for blood work, I never look at it. I just talk to the nurse. I look away and I ask them about their day. I try and get my mind off of it. But I'm telling myself, this is what good health looks like. It means you go through this so that you can enjoy good things. Smart man. So and, keeping your head on the vi ahead, your vision ahead. 
And that's, that's, that's kind of what I mean by the process too. I could look at it as this thing that I hate. I can look at surgery as, you know, this has been a massive disruption to my, to my life. It's taken me a year or more to recover from it. And it's just put everything on hold. Or I can say, no, no, the obstacles aren't blocking the path. The obstacles are the path. Like this has directly been put in front of me. This is my path. That's good. So it's been, it's been difficult, but at the same time, I don't think I would change it, Dave. If I could go back and have no scars, I could have a great heart. Would I do it? I don't, I don't know that I would simply because there's so much that I've learned from it. I don't know. I think I'd look like a very different person and probably not, not better either. That's so good, man, that you're really, you've seen where you're at today and how even though it was this very difficult journey, and it may continue, you have more challenges because of this, but you understand that it's building you as a man and the character and, Man, it all has a purpose. I'm so happy. I'm so proud to be your friend, man. That's that's partly why I still walk is, you know, now they're saying the valve that I have can last indefinitely. Really? Yeah. They said they've, they've tracked them long enough over time that they could last indefinitely, but they don't know. And my attitude is, you know what? There may be a day 30 years from now. I might need another one. If I continue to do jiu-jitsu, to walk, to swim, to run, to keep my body as healthy as I can in preparation for that one day, then I'll be as ready for that as I can be. Because the idea is not, okay, I'm done with that now and just go back to life. No, no, this is my life. The, the, the question I, I struggle with being asked most is people will say, so is everything back to normal now? And I have a really hard time answering that because there is no normal now. It's a new normal. You don't go back to who you were or what things were like before you go through any kind of a traumatic event. You've picked up some good things from it. Maybe you've picked up some challenges from it. But there's a new normal that's established. And that's where you move forward from. When you think about the future Mm -hmm. and you think of what might happen but you know that through your life God's always been there and seen you through you've got through all of this by doing what you can so you can walk you can this sounds stupid drink water you can exercise you can be the best that you can be and that's what you focus on You're not focusing on what God controls or what the outside world controls. You're just controlling what you're doing for yourself that you can. And then tomorrow, the what ifs, talk about that. Do you just, how do you push them out of your head? How do you ignore them and focus on today? Because you said throughout the interview, a great truth, focus on today, you know, plan ahead, but at the same time, live in today. So talk about that. How do you, when those ideas come in your head or those worries or those cares how do you get rid of them what's your literal physical mental process that danny covey goes through to get back on track 
with a positive vision. And you got to slow it down. It goes so fast in your head. Yeah. It's kind of reverse engineering. the. I think... Every day is a gift. And it sounds cheesy, but I don't mean it to, but it, it's going to. I hear my valve tick every day. Some days I'm so used to it, I tune it out. Every time I hear it tick, it's a reminder to me, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And there's a measure where you feel like you're living on borrowed time. Like I've gotten more time now since I've had surgery. I've had almost 30 years since my surgery when I was 14. It's been almost two and a half years since my last surgery. Every day has been a gift. And yes, you have challenges. I still have days where maybe cognitively I'm not thinking so well. Or, you know, my heart's working well, but there's still limits. There's still limits to what I can do. And yeah, I get down and it's, it's, it's discouraging. But I honestly feel, why am I here? You know, I'm here. I've survived. It's not about me. It's about sharing something with someone else who's struggling. It's about doing things like this podcast. It's about sharing my story in some way that somebody else can get benefit from it. That doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory and perfect. But I've just tried to focus on, God, you knew this. You knew this was going to happen. You know this was the path. And what do you do with it? I think the it's like being handed a, a cactus. <laughs> you can fight against it or you can, you know, this is this is my plant I got to care for. <laughs> the more you kick against it, it's going to hurt you. And as difficult as this is, there's been peace in accepting and just saying, okay, this is my lot in life. Will I ever be you know, uh, a gym rat and huge muscles and able to train and run long marathons? No. This is this is what I am able to do. And if this is what I can do, then I want to do as much of that. I want to push as much as I can safely to my limits. So I don't and I don't mean to sound like I have the monopoly on the answer. I don't. It's just realizing like Things things are bad, but they will be better. And maybe not better as in, you know, 180 degree transformation. But you are on a path. That path has roadblocks and obstacles. And they are no surprise to God. And I find, too, the people that I've been able to talk to, the people that have come into my life, that have enriched my life, I wouldn't have half of them if I had not gone through what I've gone through. My my dad, when he preached, he used to talk, he, he preached a message called some of life's greatest blessings come in black envelopes. And 
I think the idea behind it is something that's presented to you looks horrible. It looks awful. And it, and it is. But what you find is a byproduct of that can be one of the greatest blessings that you ever have. You know, I look at my relationship with my kids. We've walked through some really hard times, like writing and pouring my heart out to them, knowing I may never see them again, or hugging them, realizing it could be for the last time, or saying goodbye to your wife. It cuts a lot of the superficial out of it. It it really forces you, hey, you know what? Grant or Layla or Carter or Carly, we are going to have as meaningful a relationship as we have, as we can, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so I think that's the value of going through hard things. It really helps you focus on what's important and it brings people into your life. It brings circumstances into your life that you would have never dreamed of. And there's a lot of good that comes from horrible situations. 100% agreed. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, once you got through that difficulty and that part of your life, what did you do with the letters? It's this funny. I looked at them (laughs) and I thought, what should I do with these? I mean, I really put a lot of thought and time and uh, a lot of tears into them. And I thought, you know what? It's not really my decision. So I, I gave them to each of my kids and I gave them to Carly. And I said, this was intended for you if I had not lived. I said, what you do with it is entirely up to you. If you want to never open it, if you want to throw it away, if you want to burn it, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. And I left it at that. And I do know they each of them read, read, read the letters I wrote. And... I think it really had a profound influence on them. I know a couple of my kids were crying. But there's a measure, too, where, you know, if I'm I'm leaving for work for the day and I give them a hug and I say I love you, Dave, they know what I think. I almost feel like there's a measure where there's nothing left unsaid. And so if something tragic were to happen, they know where they stand with me. I know where they stand with, uh, I know where things are at with them. And that for me, that was just a huge, huge thing is just pouring my heart out to them and knowing they've read that and it's had a profound influence on them. That's huge, man. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Danny, for sharing your story today. So you've shared a lot of your heart and your life, and I know it's not easy with the listeners, and I'm sure it's helping people right now. Let's transition into where you are today. We've we've talked a lot about that, but where you are today and where you're going. How can we help you? So talk about Danny's life today and how we can help you. So it's a new normal. (laughs) It hasn't gone back to normal. I... I'm creatively able to do a lot of the things that I love doing. In my job, I'm very satisfied. 
I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I'm keenly aware, though, that what I went through in all this was not just for me. It wasn't just that I go through this and I'm done. I do feel a responsibility to use this time I'm given and share share my story, share what's happened. And so something I've even talked about with you, is there a podcast that I can do in the future? What would that look like? Is there a way that I can use that to encourage others, to help others? And so that's that's really where I, I'd like to go, is just do things where I'm helping and encouraging other people and using the tools that I'm good at. So whether it's uh, making videos for causes that I think are worthy or pouring my design and marketing skills into people that need it, that, that I can be a blessing to, that's what I want to do. It's in a measure, I'm, it's, it's not really, you know, I've got this agenda that I want to do. I've got time that I wasn't promised how can i use that to be a blessing to others and it's and i don't mean that to sound cheesy but i do i do mean that like how can what i've gone through help as many people as it can yes absolutely and, and, and that's that's kind of where i'd like to go is just how how can this message of what god has done in my life how can that help others who are going through anything close to similar all right, man. Well, if we can help you, we'll put links to you if people want to contact you and whether they're asking questions or want to shoot you out some encouragement. They have projects they want. I strongly, strongly support Danny. I'd love for you to be able to hire you to get uh, season two of our podcast shirt made, man. The new logo uh, with your creative skills. I, can, I can't even imagine what you come up with, right? Well, hopefully it's but, better um, than what I did in college for you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I kept it 30 years. Or, no, 30 years. Wait, 25 years? It's, I'm old. I can't do math anymore. Yeah. No, I'm just it's close to 30 years, Dave. Yeah, man. 25. Yeah. Yeah, 25 years. 25 yeah. years, man. I was on the long program. I switched major, so I did the five-year plan. I, I did the master, so I was on the six-year program. <laughs> man, we love you. Thank you, Danny, for being here today. As our listeners, if this episode helped you or you think it's going to help someone you love or a friend, Please share it. Please, in your podcast directories like Apple and Google, rate and review the podcast, like it, put some comments in the notes. Because for Danny and myself, it encourages us when we read the feedback. Yeah. One thing, too, this came up recently, and Danny and I were talking before the show. He's in Canada. We're in the United States. If you're putting show notes, they will not show up because it's by country. So you can rate and review it, and as weird as it is, it only shows up in the country you're in from what I've learned the hard way, right? We have listeners all over the world that are listening and come to me, and they're not seeing the different notes. So that's something I learned, right? So if you want to put comments for Danny that he can for sure see, no matter if you're in Australia or India or Costa Rica, go ahead and go to our website, davidpasquillon.com forward slash RPP, Remarkable People Podcast. You can find Danny's episode and say, Danny, I love you, man. Thanks for sharing. I'm going through this now. You really encouraged me. Danny, we talked about yep. a lot, but is there anything we missed? Is there anything that's on your heart that you'd like to share with the audience? A final thought or even a big section of your life we skipped over? No, I, I want to thank you for having me on the show. And it, it means a lot that you've taken this time to talk with me. I would just want to encourage people that 
Whatever you're going through, do not quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Some of life's greatest blessings come in adversity. They're wrapped up in adversity and they look horrible, but some of the greatest blessings you will have will come from them. So that's my message. Whatever you're going through, don't give up. Don't quit. We can't end on a better note than that, buddy. Thank you so much, Danny. You truly are a remarkable man. I am proud to be your friend. And to you as a listener, listen, we love you. And like our slogan says, listen, do, repeat for life. Don't just listen to this. Apply it and live in this life and the next. Dan, thanks again for being here. We love you. Give Carly our best. We'll do. And until the next episode, we'll talk to you soon and see you soon, listeners. Thanks, Dave. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life.